Every product-driven company needs strong design leadership, but what does it take to become a design leader? What are some of the challenges you'll face as you move from your first job to working as an individual contributor, to leading projects, to leading teams? In this episode of the designbetter.co podcast, we talk with Mia Bloom about all of these stages, which she's experienced during her career at such product-driven companies as IDEO, Square, and Pinterest. Along the way, we learn how she prepared herself for each of these roles and what she learned in each transition. We'll talk about some common things design leaders struggle with and why she decided to focus on coaching design leaders as the next phase of her career. This is the final episode of our first season of the designbetter.co podcast. We hope you've enjoyed what we've done so far and are looking forward to the next season where we'll be interviewing more great design leaders like Mia. Enjoy this episode and keep designing great products. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Mia Bloom, design leadership coach. Welcome to the Design Better podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to, to chat with you today. We're very curious about what you've been doing uh, with design leadership because it's, it's definitely a hot topic in the industry. Um, but let's, let's start first. Um, you had a pretty interesting start to your career. Um, you've, you've been at some, some really cool places like IDEO. Uh, Square, Pinterest. So you've seen a lot of different types of companies and organizations, how they work. Um, and it probably took a lot of lessons from that. But somehow, almost directly out of college, if I'm not mistaken, you managed to land uh, a job at IDEO, right? Um, yeah, I started as an intern. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty incredible place to start a career. Um, how did you manage to get your foot in the door at, at IDEO so young? That's a great question. Um, I think it was a little bit of my passion for collaboration and a little bit of luck. Um, so like a lot of students at the time, I saw the 60 Minutes video at uh, from IDEO talking about the shopping cart and the way they worked. And I just got so excited about the idea of working with all these different disciplines to make products. Um, and so I actually signed up for a cross-disciplinary studio while I was still in university um, it was very experimental. It combined industrial design, textile design, and graphic design to actually build and make a product for a real client. Um, so we designed the future of carpeting. <laughs> and uh, I learned a lot about the value of these disciplines coming together to make something. And so I was just incredibly passionate about it. And I knew I wanted to work at IDEO. Um, and so I just went for it. All right, you, you got to tell me what it means that that you went for it. Who did you talk to? How did how did you go about just you know getting them to pay attention to you? Um, well, I started talking to my professors and saying this is what I want to do. Um, the products that we built in that studio also won some pretty big awards at NeoCon, which is the biggest interior design um, exhibit and marketplace. And so I was able to illustrate that this is something that I was really passionate about and worked with my uh, professors to find connections. And I was fortunate that 
Um, one of the design directors at IDEO had actually graduated from my university, so there was a connection there. So that's a little bit of the luck. Mia, at, when you were at IDEO you know, in, in the early years and as you kind of progressed through it, what, what are some of the ways that it shaped the way that you think about design and the design process? I mean, it's fundamental to who I am as a creative leader and a designer today. So IDEO absolutely shaped who I am and how I create things. Um, but I don't think I knew that that was what it was going to be when I went into it. Um, fundamentally, it was about creating products for people that also serve the needs of a business. And that is, you know, one of the unique struggles of design leaders and design teams across all industries today. How do we do both of those things successfully? And I was fortunate enough that I got to learn how to do that from some of the most creative designers and leaders for some of the largest Fortune 500 companies. Um, so it was a really unique experience. Did you ever just totally screw up in that job? <laughs> of course, don't we all? <laughs> I made lots of dumb mistakes. Uh, but I was fortunate that I was in an environment where people celebrated learning. Um, and that gave me the space to try new things, to, to fail creatively and as a leader but have the support to get back up and keep going. Were there also um, any leaders or, or men mentors at IDEO that really shaped uh, your perception of how, what a good leader looks like? Oh my gosh. Um, so many. Um, I don't know if I could just pick one. It was, I mean, if you look at the number of IDEO folks that teach at Stanford, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by them every day. Um, the Kellys, Tim Brown, and so many talented design directors. And I got to work with them every day, all day. And were there any key insights from working with uh, David Kelly, uh, who's another guest from uh, on our podcast recently, um, and, and Tim Brown? Um, you said you worked with them every day. Um, they've got just such incredible wisdom and um, their own incredible careers. What specifically did you learn from them that, that you use on a regular basis? I think the thing that I learned the most from the leaders at IDEO is how to be an effective creative leader and to bring people along through the process of designing something that is tumultuous and unclear and sometimes frustrating and sometimes inspiring and delightful. And how do you bring non-designers through that process? and instill confidence in them that on the other side of this kind of murky path, that we're gonna come up with something that's great. Um, and today they talk a lot about creative confidence. Um, and that was certainly what they taught us um, as creative leaders, but also as consultants, how to bring others through that process. That's great. So it's, it's interesting to, you know, you, you make your way into IDEO as an individual contributor, as a designer. You're developing this creative confidence in a very unique, nurturing environment, sounds like. Um, talk us through what that transition into leadership looked like. Um, wh at what point was it recognized that, hey, Mia might be a really good team lead or project lead? How did how did you move up in, in the ranks? Um, and And what was that process like? To make the transition. Yeah, I, I think like a lot of designers, I kind of stumbled into it. Um, <laughs> I was working on a really big project for a tech company here in the Bay Area, and our design lead left. 
in the middle of the project. And um, they created an opportunity for me to step up and lead. It wasn't planned. <laughs> it wasn't this perfect, you know, path that I had created with someone else. It was an opportunity for me to step up. And in that moment, I had to decide, is this something that I want to do? Um, and do I have the support to be successful in this? I wish I could say that it was a perfectly planned ladder and building of skills and perfect timing, but I don't think it ever really is for anyone. And did you have, did you have direct reports immediately or was it more just you're on point for a project? Yeah. So most of the project leaders or design leaders on client projects at IDEO don't manage the team. They're more creative leaders plus client managers. So I was fortunate that I didn't have to take on everything all at once. Um, it was really about creative and content leadership. Got it. And and did you end up managing people at IDEO? I did not. I um, was responsible for resourcing and career development and the development of interaction design with a couple of other directors and, and co-community leads. Um, but management uh, was not one of my responsibilities there. Yeah. So after after IDEO, you moved to Square, a uh, lead position, and then uh, had a more of a design management position at Pinterest. As as you kind of moved through that arc, did your leadership style evolve? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, both my management and leadership skills evolved during that time, and a lot of it was, you know, as I grew more comfortable in my ability to lead, but also in how I adapted to the different culture and the different needs. Um, and the different teams that I was building at the time. And these these companies that you're at, IDEO, Square, and Pinterest, they have very, very different cultures. <laughs> but um, what, what do you think, what factors played the most significant role at, at, at your observations uh, in shaping the culture at, at each of these companies? I would say for the companies that I worked at and with the clients that I work with today, one of the most fundamental impacts on any culture is the leaders themselves, whether that's the founders or the executive team. Um, and then I would say second and, and to that is the product that you're building in the industry that you're in. So, you know, the personality, the skills, the natural style of leadership certainly impacts a larger organization because that is a signal or sign of what success looks like within that organization. So you naturally start to adjust and adapt to that. And then the industry itself, for instance, even at Square or pretty early on, there was a very kind of uh, formal sense to how we worked and how we showed up as a team, which is unusual for a startup. Um, and a lot of that was because we were in the financial realm. We were working with businesses and there was a lot of rigor and serious kind of aspects to that work. Um, so we showed up a little bit differently. We often hear designers uh, express their hesitance to move from being an individual contributor, you know, very closely connected to the craft and making that transition into a leadership role where they're managing people and they're further away from that craft. Um, and it can be a pretty traumatic thing for some people. They, they feel a sense of loss um, and, you know, the, the typical imposter syndrome. I wonder, as you made that transition, it seems like uh, at IDEO, you kind of stepped into this leadership position in certain ways, then moving on to Square and Pinterest, where you've got direct reports. Um, 
did you feel that sense of um, conflict within yourself of I'm stepping away from the craft? Um, you know, do I still have a strong connection to design? Absolutely. I was terrified that I was going to get behind, you know, like I wasn't going to continue to build my skills as a designer or that I wouldn't be able to keep up with the design tools or that I would, you know, lose a sense of the trends and that I would get lost in meetings and email and, and lose my connection to my creativity. Um, I thought about that every day. <laughs> and I hear that from a lot of designers and leaders that I work with today. Some of the same things like, oh, I don't want to be in meetings all day or, you know, email is not the output that I want to create or, you know, management is not a creative role. And one of the things that I found in my experience and my journey is that I actually think leadership is a creative practice. Leadership inherently is a creative role. And when I started to see that in my own ways of showing up um, and how I started to reframe the activities and responsibilities of my job, suddenly it just started to click. You know, it went from hiring designers to designing a design team. It went from trying to influence the way that we work to designing an organization. And suddenly I was able to bring some of that creativity and experience and skills into, you know, this new craft of leadership. Yeah, I, I wanted to go back just for a moment to something Aaron touched on in his earlier question. He mentioned this, this idea of imposter syndrome. And for me personally, I, I feel like I still suffer from that sometimes, you know, even though I... I had a really great teaching job for the last five years and my current role here at Envision. I'm really proud of the work I do, but I still feel like I, you know, I fall into that trap when I'm giving a talk or, you know, having to be in front of an audience sometimes. And you've written a bit about this. Can you just, you know, talk a little bit about how you, you know, at these different leaps in your career have dealt with imposter syndrome? Um, well, this is a tough question. Um, well, I think I have a very different perspective on imposter syndrome now than I would have a few years ago. Um, you know, I, I think throughout my career, I've always been really hungry to learn and to challenge myself. And so, yeah, I took a lot of crazy risks um, and had to make some really big leaps with my team and in my own career. And yeah, a lot of times I didn't have the confidence that I knew what I was doing. There was something that was kind of ingrained in my DNA as a designer that a lot of what we do is put things out to the world, learn from it, experiment, and make it better. And when I was able to take that mindset of learning and growing and evolving and iterating and applying that to my own practice, suddenly that allowed me to take those risks knowing that I knew how to make it better over the long run. I wasn't always going to be right the first time, whether it was about how we structure the organization or a new process that we were implementing, it didn't matter because I knew how to make it better. I knew how to empathize with the people that it was going to affect. I knew how to take their feedback and synthesize that into new ideas and just move forward. And that really helped me. I mean, frankly, being a designer has helped me be a more effective leader than any other thing that I've learned how to do in my life. That's interesting that, um, you know, if, if anyone who's listening, if you're a designer, if you're an individual contributor, uh, you know, when you're inside of a small company, uh, it's pretty easy to be very close to the, the, the craft. But as the organization grows, um, design becomes more about people, right? And um, the whole leadership space that you've been exploring, um, 
that's entirely about people. It's about managing people. It's about communication. Um, and I, I wonder if in your experience at uh, IDEO, Pinterest, Square, if, uh, if there were things that you saw along the way that really helped make uh, design work better through communication, um, if, you know, like specific people skills, communication skills helps design, let's say, connect better with engineering or communicate better to executives? The ability to communicate, empathize, and connect with other human beings around you is some of the most important skills a designer can build. And I was fortunate enough that, you know, inherently as a consultant at IDEO, I had to elevate my soft skills really quickly. I had to stand in front of large groups of executives and facilitate workshops and navigate through really tough questions with them. Um, and that allowed me, as I kind of shifted into the startup world, not only to negotiate and collaborate and communicate with my new executives, but to teach my team and help them level up their soft skills so that they could be effective. Because we all know, no matter how great our ideas are, if we can't communicate them and rally others around them, they're not going to go anywhere. And so, you know, the empathy, the communication and presentation, the um, ability to influence others and, and advocate for new ideas, that is truly what helps design teams be successful over the long run. How do you go about cultivating those soft skills with people? Is that something that you just screen for or is that something that can be coached? I think both. It's absolutely something that you should interview and evaluate um, for new candidates. But I think it's also something that you can practice as a team. You know, I deeply believe in the value of critique for a variety of reasons within a design or creative organization. And one of the great values of a critique is that you get to practice as a team your ability to communicate your ideas, to explain your design decisions, to discuss and debate in a healthy environment before you extend that out to the larger cross-functional organization. So you've made this shift over to design leadership and the kind of consulting and coaching practice for, for budding design leaders. What, what was behind your decision to make that shift and why is, why is design leadership such an important topic for you right now? I wish I had a really clear answer for you, but <laughs> I'll, I'll try and give you, um, I'll try and give you one. Um, you know, I decided to focus on leadership coaching for a variety of reasons. I mean, just in general, I want to see design have more impact on the world. I mean, who doesn't want to live in a world where our products, services, organizations, governments are designed to actually serve the people that they're created for um, in new and better ways? So ultimately, I want to support the success of design as a function and discipline. The other thing that I was noticing is that there are a lot of my peers and uh, emerging design leaders around me particularly in tech, that didn't have the support they needed to be effective. And, you know, there's a lot of different reasons for that. You know, we are in a very fortunate time where design is getting more opportunity to step up and lead within organizations. Design teams are often some of the smaller teams within uh, larger product organizations. And, you know, our schooling and education doesn't really support leadership management and uh, business development as part of, you know, kind of growing up as a designer. So all these things were coming together. 
And I realized that there was just such a need for design leaders to have the support to be great managers and great leaders within their organizations. And I wanted to see more of those people succeeding. So now I do that in a couple different ways. Um, I coach individual leaders uh, to help them build up their skills and build their teams. I work with design leadership teams to help them be effective as a team. So what does it mean for us to show up not only as individuals, but as a leadership team? And I also build custom um, curriculum development for tech companies, specifically for UX, creative, and design teams. That's, you know, I, you said that undergraduates, you know, training doesn't typically involve much leadership. And I'd, I'd really have to agree with that, at least where I went to school. It's funny, I just got a survey today from <laughs> my undergraduate school asking, like, how well do we do in these various topics? And most of them were quite good. But there was leadership. And, you know, I had to be honest, there just wasn't much leadership, you know, coaching or training involved. And I'm curious, you know, are there ways that you see um, undergraduate institutions doing a better job of teaching leadership? I, th I think there's a lot being asked of undergraduate programs right now, um, particularly because designers are being asked to do so much. And I don't know if it's appropriate for these um, programs to actually teach leadership per se, but I do think there are some fundamentals around communication and cross-functional collaboration that is a version of leadership that will set designers up for success. Um, even in their first role and as they grow into leadership roles. Um, do I see anyone doing that? Well, uh, it's a mix. <laughs> I'm optimistic that it will get better. Um, but there are some programs that are doing more of kind of what I mentioned, you know, that I was able to do um, early on in um, my university experience where there was real client projects and cross-functional teams that were working on that. I think that's really what we need to start teaching more of um, in order to get our teams prepared for expansive leadership and cross-functional leadership. Um, but it's tricky because we're asking a lot of designers today, a lot. Support for Design Better comes from Uplift Desk, creators of office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. It's been estimated that the average person will spend one-third of their life at work. Sobering, huh? That's roughly 90,000 hours at work over your lifetime. Imagine what happens to your body if you're working with bad posture and poor circulation. It can be devastating on your health. That's why Eli and I love Uplift Desk and their ergonomic desks and chairs. Uplift Desk makes solid, well-constructed standing desks that you can customize to match your workspace. And they have a wide variety of incredibly ergonomic chairs. My personal favorite is the Human Scale Freedom Chair. I'm sitting in it right now. For professionals like us, investing in the right tools, especially our desk and chair, is essential. You're going to get free shipping, free returns with free return shipping, and an industry-leading 15-year warranty that covers the complete desk. Eli and I love their products, and we know that you will too. Give it a try. Go to upliftdesk.com and use code DESIGNBETTER5 for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T-DESK.COM to get 5% off your entire order with promo code DESIGNBETTER5. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When we spoke with Seth Godin on Design Better, he said something very interesting. Everyone's got a noise in their head. You, me, your boss, everyone. 
That noise in our head is self-doubt, confusion, fear, anxiety, all of that. It's part of the human experience, and it can hold us back. Therapy is one of the best ways to work through it all, to quiet the unproductive noise and develop positive mental health. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and to work with your schedule. BetterHelp can help you get the support that you need. Visit betterhelp.com slash designbetter today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash designbetter. Do you find it's hard to um, help companies understand the value of investing in design leadership? Do they connect the dots between if we have a strong design leadership uh, component of our organization, we will get, you know, big dividends out of this? Unfortunately, it's still a mix. (laughs) I think some companies understand that design is important, but they may not understand how to do it. And some other companies are still trying to figure out what we mean when we say design. Um, And unfortunately, our community has not done a great job of actually explaining what we do and all these miscellaneous titles and the ways that we describe um, what design is. So a lot of that is on us for sure. But the value of design is, it's evolving. (laughs) And, um, you know, I think ultimately when when a company or leadership team understands that design isn't just about the service, that truly design is thinking about how do we build and what do we build that will not only improve people's lives or their business experience, but also build a business. When they understand that design thinking and product thinking is at the core of what we do, then it's a lot easier for them to understand, okay, I I see how design fits into our organization. But if we don't frame it through that lens, if we talk about the UI and the interactions and the visual design and design systems first, then that gets lost. That stuff comes later once we figured out the big why and what. So in your practice, Mia, when you're you're coaching either aspiring design leaders or design leaders that... um, you know, have been in the field for a while, what are some of the most common things that you see them struggling with and, and how do you guide them through those challenges? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, um, one of the early challenges that I see with design leaders is one you already brought up was, so how do I think about my new role? I'm afraid of losing connection to my creativity. And that is really about helping them see that leadership is a creative role and helping them see the opportunities within their role to connect to the creativity. I think the second one is really honestly about time management and prioritization. (laughs) No matter how experienced my client is, whether they're a VP and they've been a manager or leader for 10, 15 years, they still struggle with that. And I think a lot of that is just how we work as organizations today. There are so many things coming at us. Um, You know, the little red dot uh, is pretty much everywhere on every device we have. And it's really easy to become reactive to those meetings, to those emails, to those messages, to someone showing up at your desk. And one of the things I work with my clients on is how to be more intentional about your time and your priorities and how you want to show up as a leader. Um, Because those behaviors certainly illustrate to your team what you value and what success looks like. 
And one of the biggest gaps I see is that leaders often see their work or their job as showing up to those meetings and being present. But actually, some of the most valuable work they can do is setting time aside for themselves to think, reflect, uh, digest, synthesize, and strategize. That is their work, not going to a bunch of meetings. Certainly that's a part of it, but that's not everything. And so a lot of it is about helping people figure out how do I show up with much more focus and intention and not get lost in the everyday chaos. Can you talk about some specific tactics that you advocate that, that help people protect their time and prioritize? Yeah, absolutely. I talk a lot about design or be designed, um, which basically is it's up to you to design your time and your energy or <laughs> you will be designed by the system. So some of the specific tactics are things like blocking out an hour on Monday and at the end of the week on Friday to reflect on what happened and what do I need to do next. It's about, you know, every two weeks having three or four hours where you go off and you explore and you reflect and you strategize. It's about blocking out time on your calendar that you don't want to go to meetings. <laughs> It's about creating um, themes within your week. Um, you know, for instance, I used to do Tuesdays and Thursdays were my one-on-ones, and that was team time because often all the meetings and everything gets squeezed together, and we end up being a bit fragmented. You know, we're hopping from one product review to a critique to a one-on-one -on -one to who knows what else, and that fragmentation, you know, takes. Um, takes a little energy out of us and makes it hard for us to focus. So if you can organize your time in a way that you're doing the same things consistently, that will help. Um, I also talk about, you know, writing instead of on a piece of paper, you know, that old technology, um, and getting people out of the digital space where they can easily be distracted. Um, but honestly, it's about finding the tools or techniques that work for that particular individual. Yeah, I really like that idea designing your time. And uh, one of my colleagues wrote a book called Designing Your Life, where he really advocates for something similar that, you know, structure your day so that you have these kind of high energy events at following lower energy events. So he gives the example of like, I have to do this budgeting meeting, which I hate every week. So I'll follow that up with office hours with my grad students, which gets me really energized. And so structuring your time that way can really make your days a lot more effective and, and fun. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's also about self-awareness of understanding what does give you energy and what depletes you. So I work on a leadership profile with design leaders to identify what are the areas of management and leadership that fuel you and give you energy, and which are the ones that deplete you, even though you have to do them. And how do you think about those activities existing with each other and throughout your week? Um, a lot of that is about resilience and sustainability as a leader. Um, and you know, if we're not conscious about that time and energy, it's really hard to be a resilient leader throughout the ebbs and flows of our organization. We recently chatted with Jake Knapp and he's a self-proclaimed time dork. Uh, he, he has, has all these hacks to protect his time and to protect focus. And, um, it's fascinating to me that that is, that could be a, a fundamental for leadership in general is just that. You know, when when you transition from an individual contributor where you, you really are in, mostly in control of your time, 
um, into a leadership position where you have less control of your time, uh, it can be your downfall. The fact that, you know, you, it's so easy to lose focus. It's so, um, you know, it's, as you said, it's so easy for someone else, the, the system to design you. So, um, I don't know, uh, other ideas about focus in general, about uh, how that, that plays into the success of a leader? Well, a lot of it, as a leader builds their team, it's thinking about how do I build a team around me that will help me and design as a function be successful? You know, that's finding people that want to take on some of those activities that deplete you. And certainly you can't delegate everything, um, but there might be some things that you can delegate to your team and create an opportunity for them to learn and grow as a leader. And so being conscious about designing the people and the roles rather, not the people, but the roles around you that enable you to be more successful and show up in the ways that allow you to be an effective leader. Um, it's not just about how you control your time and think about your time, but overall, how are you shaping the team? So uh, as a design leader, you know, you're obviously interacting with not just your own team and, and designers, but outside those boundaries. And, and you're talking, you were just talking about being an effective leader. What are some ways that design leaders can reach out to other company leaders to be more effective? I mean, I see this happen all the time. <laughs> Designers are looking for uh, best practices or a playbook, a solution. And I do think like any design project, it's good to go out and seek inspiration and to understand how the problem has been solved before. However, the reality is a lot of the problems, the really, really tough ones, um, are going to be specific to you as a leader, your culture, your organization. And so that research, reaching out and having coffee, going to design circles and events, that's a really great way um, to collect that information. But ultimately, you're responsible for designing your organization. So coming back and, and figuring out, okay, what is the right solution for me? That's the hard work. Um, and that's why I get really excited about coaching because it's about helping people navigate that, that creative process for collecting information, synthesizing, and ultimately coming up with a solution that's unique to their experience and their team. Mia, we, we hear a lot that design leaders struggle um, to cultivate that next layer of, of talent, of leadership around them. You said that you, you've got to pull these people in to sort of protect you and take some of these burdens off of your shoulders, which, um, you know, is an important part of scaling. You're not just scaling the team. You've got to scale yourself. Uh, in, in agriculture, there's this technique called succession planting. It's where you sow a crop and then you wait for that crop to begin to mature. And then you immediately sow the crop again. So you're always, for example, you're always pulling carrots out of the ground. Um, is there something that design leaders need to be doing uh, it's, that's similar to cultivate this ongoing plan for um, uh, bringing on new talent, coaching up new talent, and even planning for their succession that if it's time for them to leave or move to a new role, that that team is ready? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I love that metaphor. Um, I think the first and most important thing is that that leader is aware of where they want to show up and how they want to show up. You know, do they get the most energy out of defining and communicating a vision? Or is it truly about people 
management, mentorship, and support? Or is it really about the process and execution? Understanding where they're going to bring the most um, to the team and where are the gaps? So that self-awareness is critical because then you know what kind of crop to actually (laughs) plant, right? Um, And nurture if you have that self-awareness. I think the second thing is probably... Always thinking about opportunities to elevate your team. I think there's this natural um, assumption for new leaders that they have to be present and they have to represent design all the time. And certainly there are situations where they should be representing and advocating for the function. But the early, early on, the more you can support your team and representing their work and the function, the more scaled you're going to become as a team and the more scalable your function is going to become. So that's things like practicing their ability to communicate great design decisions within critique. That is encouraging them to have the really tough cross-functional conversations. It is coaching them to solve their problems. Um, And then on that last note, I really want to emphasize this, Um, particularly with new leaders, there is this... um, assumption that they have to solve all the problems. In fact, we're designers, so we're great problem solvers, which means it's really easy for us to try and solve the problems that our team brings to us. But ultimately, over the long run, in order to ensure that your team scales with you and grows and matures and is ready to take on more leadership responsibilities, you have to coach them, not just direct or tell them how to solve their problems, but truly coach them through the process and give them the space to fail. Um, Give them the space to make the decision, own it, and have accountability for that. It's really easy to solve their problems, but it serves us in the long run to coach them on how to navigate them themselves. So in ideal situations, there's this coaching going on, there's this looking after sort of this next crop of leaders, but there's also probably this element for for some individual contributors were, and we've seen this with folks like Andy Law at Netflix, where he really took it upon himself to learn how to become a manager and cultivate those skills. He just got a stack of books and started interviewing leaders in different, different places. Um, what are the traits for those folks who are really self-directed? What are the traits that designers should develop to become a good leader? Well, at the fundamental kind of level, there's the basics of management. And there's plenty of books and resources and managers around you that you can learn from. So how do you set goals for the team? How do you deliver tough feedback? How do you navigate um, HR issues? All of those types of things. That's the easier stuff to pick up because there are tons of best practices out there. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but there's a lot more resources. The leadership side is a little bit harder because that's not just the roles and responsibilities That's how you show up. So how you decide to show up as a leader within your organization. And what does that mean? And a lot of that is about defining your values and understanding what it means to be successful inside of your organization. Um, You know, it's about integrity as a human in this role. And that's a little bit harder to learn from books. A lot of that is about practice, self-awareness, and an evolution of your new craft. Um, I think the leaders that have really grown into their roles are ones that accept leadership as a craft and accept that this is something new that they have to build and go out and explore and learn and try new things and take on risks and be vulnerable in front of their team around what they do and don't know and 
you know, what's, what's going to happen over the long run as they grow together. Can you talk a little bit more about that vulnerability? Because um, in, in my experience, leaders that I have admired the most, they exhibited that characteristic. They were vulnerable. They were honest. They admitted when they were wrong to the team. Um, and, and it never diminished my esteem for them. Um, it's, it's, it seems like a very risky thing when you are in a leadership position to admit you're wrong or to be vulnerable or say like, I don't know how to do this. I don't, I don't know what the right path forward is here. How do you coach people through that? How do, how have you seen leaders in your career, um, embrace that vulnerability and, and do it gracefully? Yeah. I mean, vulnerability is tough when you feel like you're in the spotlight and that you're being held accountable for having all the right answers. And maybe if you have a little bit of that imposter syndrome and uh, that we were talking about earlier. I think the most important thing, particularly in startups and tech, these companies are growing rapidly and everyone is learning and growing at the same time. And I think it's critical to acknowledge that, that, hey, we're going to face some challenges together that we have never faced before, which means that we're going to make some mistakes along the way, but we're going to learn and optimize and make it better over time together. And that means that a leader needs to be able to say in front of their team, I'm not going to have all the answers, but hopefully together we can figure out the best ones for us. Um, and that can be risky and that can be scary. Uh, but often it's about evaluating, well, what if I'm not honest? What if I'm not vulnerable? What then? How will my team perceive me? What happens when I make a mistake and I don't acknowledge it? Often the consequences of not being vulnerable and honest and exposing some of those challenges to the team means, well, you end up with some really unhealthy cultural <laughs> uh, challenges. And so the risk, it may feel bigger to be vulnerable, but ultimately that leads to more trust on the team. And that's what you need as a team to be resilient through the hard stuff. Working at a startup is, it's tough. And so you need everyone to be on the same page about learning and growing together. Mia, we've got an, an event coming up with you, which we're really excited about. Um, can you tell us, give us a few details on that so we can get people pumped up and excited to sign up? Yeah, so um, in April, I'm hosting a leadership retreat for women in design across startups and tech. The goal is to bring the experience accomplished women and design leadership together to share best practices, experiences, and talk about some of the challenges we face in tech today. Um, we will focus on leadership, connecting to our creativity, and building resilience. It is in April in Palm Springs, so it's going to be a lovely, lovely place. And um, it's called Within. So go within.co. What a great title. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Mia Bloom, thank you so much. Appreciate you being on the Design Better podcast with us. Thank you for having me. 